0: Um, so, everybody, take your two fingers, if you will, take two fingers like this, and then if you will just stick them in the person's nose sitting next to you. Now, take two fingers, and, uh, and let's just check and see if we have a pulse. You can check on your neck somewhere, some first responders will be able to show us that. But I know you can kind of check here on the top side of your, uh, of your wrist and, and, and check there on the thumb side, uh, check if you have a pulse. And um, if you don't have a pulse, just wave your hand in the air and uh, Travis is going to give mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to whoever needs it. Um, yeah, so you check your pulse and you, you count how many beats are there in 15 seconds and then you multiply that by four, that's your heart rate for the minute, right? Something like that, David, am I getting that right? Okay, something like that. Um, we, we, got some, we got some trained professionals here, I, I shouldn't be talking about this stuff, up, but, but heart rate or our pulse, that's one of our vital signs. Um, things like pulse rate, blood pressure, oxygen, saturation, body temp. These are vital signs. And uh, any time we go to a routine doctor visit, they're going to check our, our vital signs. They're going to, how's your blood pressure? How's your pulse rate? You know, what's your temperature? Um, and, uh, uh, and, 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 you know, it doesn't do us any good if we get offended when the doctor says, hey, your blood pressure's too high or your weight's a little higher than it needs to be. Or, But well, how dare you tell that to me? I'm going to go to a less judgmental doctor. You know what I mean? That, that wouldn't do any good. Uh, when, when, when we evaluate our vital signs, we're not evaluating our worth. We're not evaluating our value. We're evaluating our health. And... Um, and you think, think back to a Thanksgiving a few years ago, we're at my parents' house, and everybody's doing the Thanksgiving thing. We've eaten, and we're hanging out and talking, and my grandma, sweet, sweet, godly woman, we look over, and she's kind of slumped down in her chair, but it was like not like a nap. It was like she she had passed out, and, and, and but we didn't know if she was alive, and everybody rushes over there, and we're taking her pulse. She's breathing. She's got a pulse, but it's faint. And... Uh, somebody calls nine one one. I remember my dad and I just kind of cried. We didn't know we wouldn't know what else to do, so we just kind of knelt down beside my mom. We just prayed for her and prayed that God would would bring her back to us, and just pray that God would heal her, and 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 uh, prayed for peace in her heart, and. And, uh, and then uh, about the time the first responders got there, she had kind of come to and kind of looked at us like, what's wrong with all of you people and why are you staring at me, you know? And, and so the first responders did what they do. They very calmly, this was an anxious situation, and, and people are uptight and worried, and, and, and they did what first, they, they very calmly entered into this anxious situation, and they took some basic vital signs, and based on their readings, they, 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 they prescribed a course of action. They said, well, we think you need to do this and this and that. And then you know we go to the doctor or maybe we have uh, we're in an accident we get checked out by first responders and they, they may prescribe a course of action that's going to lead to greater health like maybe they're going to say you know eat better or exercise and then we say well i want to be healthy but i don't really go to that. i don't want to go to that extreme you know so it's up to us as to whether we take that advice or not and so in acts 11 12 13 14 we're going to just kind of do an overview today uh, we're going to look at some vital signs of a healthy church and these are also vital signs of a healthy Christian. We're just going to look at a few markers that kind of correspond to you know, pulse rate, uh, blood pressure, that kind of thing, oxygen saturation. These are going to be just some kind of basic vital signs of a healthy church, vital signs of, of a healthy Christian. And, uh, and so if, if, if we hear these things, we say, well, these things don't describe my life. I'm not practicing these things. These are not marks of my life. We're not saying that God doesn't love you. We're not saying that you're any less loved by God. We're not, we're not speaking about your value or your worth. But these will indicate how healthy we are. If, if, if these vital signs are not present, um, you know, God loves us. Yeah, but we may not be living a very healthy life. Um, and, so, and so we want to we kind of approach, I would like for us just to kind of approach our spiritual life and even approach our church um, like first responders on a scene. Let's just kind of very calmly uh, just kind of evaluate some vital signs now. Before you evaluate your spouse or your parent or your child or the person sitting next to you, it's going to be really important. Kind of like on a plane where the oxygen mask deployed, you want to you want to put the oxygen mask on and then help other people. So let's check our own vital signs. Let's see how healthy we are, and then uh, and then let's start evaluating start evaluating other people. But let's just approach this with a sense of how healthy am I. And so again, in these couple chapters next we're going to be in, uh, we're going to see, I believe, some vital signs of a healthy church and some vital signs of a healthy Christian. And I think if we can be honest, uh, many, many, many churches in our country are dead churches, are churches that are not accompanied by these vital signs that we're going to read about. And too many Christians that we know, and too many Christians in our area or our, our land or our country, our world, too many Christians are dead Christians. Um, and, and, and Jesus died and rose again, not, not to win dead Christians in a dead church. Uh, he died and rose again that you might be alive, that we might be alive, that, that, that we would expect great things from him and attempt great things for him. He died and rose <laughs> that we might experience life and have it to the full. So what I'd like for us to kind of grab on of, onto today or maybe grab onto us today is that when Jesus brings you to life, Life gets full of surprises when Jesus brings you to life. Life gets full of surprises when we're walking around with the power of heaven in our lives. You're walking around with the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. Your life ought to be full of crazy stories of what God is doing. All right, all right. So let's dive into the end of uh, end of Acts chapter eleven. Uh, first vital sign we're going to look at, we're going to look at is a healthy church or a healthy. Are, we still got the pulse. Anybody, anybody not having a pulse? We need to. Okay. Uh, we do have an AED. Travis is ready. Travis, you see anybody, Wilton? You know what to do, okay? All right. So, uh, first vital sign of a healthy church, first vital sign of a healthy Christian is that we are known by the name of Jesus. We're associated with the name of Jesus. Before anybody associates us with Republican or Democrat or American or, 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 or whatever, people associate us with that person or that church. Man, they, they're like Jesus. They're spending time with Jesus. Now, is anybody nailing this? Is anybody getting this perfect? No, but we want to be growing in this area. Uh, chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So remember, after Stephen went and, 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 uh, uh, and he shared the, uh, the gospel beyond the borders of Jerusalem and Judea, Uh, there's this massive persecution that that arose. And Christians get scattered. The word scattered uh, is the word where we would get dispersed. They're dispersed around the known world. But as they are scattered, wherever they're scattered, they take the gospel with them. And they start sharing the gospel. And at first we read, Verse uh, that that they're speaking the gospel to they're speaking God's word to nobody except for fellow Jews they're only talking to people that look like them and act like them and kind of have the same background as them that's where they begin but verse twenty there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also remember the Hellenists are those from a Greek cultural background and the Hellenists word here probably refers to Greek speaking Jews but also non Jewish people they start speaking the gospel they start speaking the word of God just to anybody that'll listen. Uh, Verse 21, "And, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, uh, and when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So the church in Jerusalem here is, man, things are going crazy over in Antioch. Man, these people are telling everybody about Jesus. These people are uh, they're, they're telling they're telling everybody they come in contact with about Jesus. And they're, they're, there's no like celebrity preachers here. There's no apostles here. There's no like big name Christians here. These are just regular ordinary, run-of-the-mill Christians. And, 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 and the gospel has moved forward through regular, ordinary Christians for the past 2,000 years. These regular, ordinary people are going about their job, and they're going to school, and they're walking around their neighborhoods, and they're telling everybody they encounter, hey, can I tell you some stories of the crazy stuff that Jesus has done in my life? And as they're doing that, the word of God's spreading. And so the, the church in Jerusalem says, who's the most encouraging person we know? Barnabas, Barnabas, remember his nickname means son of encouragement. So I said, Barnabas, go check this thing out in Antioch. Go see if this is for real. And Barnabas goes and we're told um, in, verse, uh, in verse 23, he came and he saw the grace of God. What does that mean, do you think? He he walks into this gathering of these people, some of them from a Jewish background, some of them from a Greek background, some of them who had been rich, some of them who had been poor, some of them who had been addicted, some of them who had been pagan worshipers, and he walks into this gathering of these changed and transformed people, and, and, and he visibly sees and encounters the grace of God. Man, whatever else happens here, uh, what I want to see and I believe what God wants to see is when people walk in, they don't just say, man, these are some cool lights. Uh, hey, that, that, that wainscoting is going to look great when you replace it. But I hope when people walk in here and when people step into any gathering that, 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 that we do, that, that the grace of God is experienced. The grace of God. I hope that not only that, but when you go out and you scatter, you take this palpable sense of God's graciousness with you wherever you go and whoever you interact with. That's what Barnabas saw. When he stepped into that gathering. And so he goes and he finds Saul. Uh, excuse me, verse 24, he was a good man, full of spirit, full of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now Saul has probably been uh, disowned by his family, disowned by everybody that that ever knew him. He's had this powerful, transforming encounter with Christ. Nothing stayed the same for him. He doesn't just go back to living life the way he was living it. And Barnabas doesn't say, hey, I want to be the big dog here in Antioch. No, Barnabas says, you know who would think this is crazy, what God's doing? You know who would be great for this? Saul. I'm going to go get him. And so Barnabas goes and gets Saul and he brings him. Verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great multitude, a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now throughout the book of Acts, people are wondering, what do you call Christians? What do you call people that follow Jesus? Um, They call them followers of the way or they call them the way because they live in a way that's different. They live in a way that's like Jesus. But at Antioch, Uh, Christian wasn't a name that Christians took on themselves. Christian is a name that outsiders gave to them. They said, man, the only way we can describe you guys is y'all are like little Jesus Christ running around. Y'all are acting like people who've been hanging around with Jesus. So we're going to call you Christianoi. We're going to call you like Jesus people. We're going to call you Christ people because you're so associated with him. Now we, in America, we take that name Christian on ourselves, but I often think that maybe it doesn't mean what we think it means. Um, In in our country, according to Barna, 73% of Americans self-identify as Christian. And most of that 73% say that their faith is very important to them. But only 31% of those are what Barna describes as practicing Christians. 42% are non-practicing Christians. Can I ask you a question? Is there such a thing as a non-practicing Christian? Like, is that a possible category biblically? Do you think you could make a case biblically that there was such a thing as a non-practicing Christian? I don't think so. But if you see evidence that somebody could be a non-practicing Christian from the Scripture, you let me know that. I'd love to see it. But so 31% of people in America that say they're Christian are practicing. And Barna defines practicing Christian as someone who has attended a religious service in the last month. Now, we're not talking about people loving their neighbors. We're not talking about people forgiving each other. We're not talking about people who are transformed. We're talking about people who made it to service once in the last month. That's a practicing Christian, and 31% of Americans are that. That's a pretty mediocre definition of what it means to be a Christian. Would you agree with me? I'm not talking about, like, oh, I've only been to church once in the last month. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the threshold of attending once a month as like the threshold of what makes a practicing Christian, that is a pretty mediocre threshold. So in our nation, we, we, we call ourselves Christians, but I think there's a difference between Antioch Christianity and American Christianity. Antioch Christianity, these are people that are gathered around the Word of God. They're gathered around, uh, around the person of Jesus Christ. They're eager to learn. They're eager to be discipled, and Jesus is at the center of everything they do. And it's at this place that these people are called Christians. Because they're associated with Jesus. Their lives are like Jesus. A living church is a church where people are progressively becoming more like Jesus. And that affiliation with Jesus is the affiliation that stands out more than anything else. Uh, Verse 27. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Uh, A second mark of a healthy church, uh, a a vital sign of a healthy church or a healthy Christian is this vital sign of sacrificial generosity. These believers in Antioch here, man, there's a famine coming. And the first thing they think about isn't, man, we better fill up our pantry. They say, there's a famine coming? It's going to affect the whole world? Man, I bet bet our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are going to really struggle Let's send everything we can to them. Notice they don't say, well, we've got to take care of our own backyard before we help anybody else. That word is never. You're never going to find that in the New Testament. Ever, 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 never. Okay? They say, man, you, you mean our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are struggling? There's going to, there's going to be a famine? Let's send them everything that we can. And they don't say, well, you know what? We might, have, we, might, we might need some of this later. And they radically give. There's this sacrificial, radical generosity that uh, characterizes this early church, this Antioch church, and that, that, that you know, living Christians identify first on the basis of Christ. We don't, they didn't say, well, those people are in another nation, or those are a different kind of people. They say, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, people in Christ, we, 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 we base our, our, our identity in Christ before we do in our nation or our bloodline or anything else like that. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now we're in the church, there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menan, a lifelong friend of Hera the Tetrarch, and Saul. So uh, another mark or vital sign of a healthy church is diversity. There's diversity in the sense of there's people from, there's Jewish people here, there's people from non Jewish backgrounds, there's people from Uh, from jerusalem there's people from africa there's people that are are probably common everyday people there's people from that, that grew up friends with herod the king okay there's all kinds of diversity economically and ethnically and racially because that's what that's what god does that's what the gospel does when the gospel takes root in a place um so uh years ago probably 19 years ago 20 years ago maybe, I was a youth pastor, almost 20 years ago, I was a youth pastor uh, in Cottonwood, America, okay? And, uh, and, and God had radically transformed my life, and, and, uh, and, and the pastor says, uh, hey, uh, we have this need of a sidewalk. There's some elderly ladies, they park over here, and they need to get in when it's raining. You know, back in the days... You know, when when rain happens, you know, and and, and they said they need to get in without getting bogged down in the rain. And I said, you know, I had worked for a guy and I had built this um, patio. I'd gone to this hill and gotten all these kind of rocks that were similar widths and made a patio. And so, you know, you're, you know, 18 years old, whatever, you think you can do anything. I said, "Ah, I can do that. Me and the youth will build the sidewalk. Okay, church leaders, if, if the youth pastor, no offense, Ashley, says us and the youth, are going to build a sidewalk. You need to immediately become very suspicious, okay? That's what should have happened. I said, I can do that. And the pastor said, awesome, great. And so he announces to the church, like, Matt knows how to do this. And he's going to build this sidewalk. And there were some people in the church who had some rock that was left over from their house, except there was a lot of diversity in the size of the rock. And some rocks were like this um, this uh, thick and some were this thick. And I came to learn as we, we did the best we could and, and we put it together and we filled in the cracks with, with mortar. But, the, but there was, um, it was a very diverse sidewalk. And I found that elderly ladies wearing their church shoes do not really appreciate a diverse sidewalk they want a sidewalk that is very uniform and so people would come up and they would say man who built that and i would say i did you know and it was terrible and so we had this project a couple years later and we had some leftover concrete and then we poured that concrete over that ugly sidewalk and then we had a sidewalk that was like this tall but it was smooth and the point i'm trying to get out in the story is if you want to get somewhere fast and without tripping uniformity is your friend um if there's diversity in a place, there's going to be some trips, there's going to be some stumbles. It's not going to be the fastest, but I believe there's something beautiful about it um, that honors God. A living church is a church where all kinds of different people are gathering in Jesus' name. Yesterday, we had a Celebration of Life uh, service for for Ronnie Hera, Donna Stewart and, and Lita and, and Becky, and I don't know who all put that together, but it was beautiful, Ronnie passed away in her home uh, last Sunday, and, and Ronnie, in, in, in just a really short amount of time, year and a half or so that she's been in our church, she made a splash. I mean, she just dove in with both feet, and, and uh, you know, Ronnie, uh, I'm, I'm confident that there were times that maybe she might have felt like maybe she didn't fit places, um, maybe she felt like at times maybe she didn't fit here, uh, because I, I guarantee you, I've never met anybody else like Ronnie. Okay, and if you ever taught her in class, there's really nobody like Ronnie. I mean, she was a character. Um, but Ronnie didn't just wait around and say, oh, these people from the church are going to come to me. Like, she jumped in with both feet, and she was determined to know and be known. Uh, and she made an impact, and she left her mark, and she was different. But she jumped in. And, and so I just want to encourage you, if you're somebody that's saying, man, nobody's reached out to me, and, and I hate that if that's the case, but, man, jump in. Be uh, Be known. Uh, take the initiative to be known take the initiative to 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 be to be part of to to be part of life here and uh man as we celebrated ronnie we could we could tell like how much transformation has happened in her over the last year and a half and you know my wife and i a few a few days ago were sitting on the back porch and we were just talking about she said what are some stories of transformation and and i was kind of in a bad mood and i was like man then God's not doing anything, you know. And, and, uh, and, and she was like, what about this person? What about this person? And, and then Ronnie came to mind. Wow, a year and a half ago when some of our ladies met Ronnie, man, she was in a dark place. And, and God like transformed her before our eyes. And she thrived. And God moved and worked in, here, in her. And like that's what God does. And he brings together all kinds of different people. And he puts them in a family together. Chapter 13, verse 2. Um, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Prayer is a vital sign of a healthy believer and a healthy church. And often, like we view prayer as like something to like like to check off the list. And, and and the picture we have here is of these, these leaders of the church are gathered together and these various diverse people, they're gathered together and they're just like pouring their hearts out in worship and prayer to God and they're listening for what God would say. And, 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 uh, uh, and, and you know, if we want to be like Jesus, we become like Jesus by spending time with Jesus. That's how it happens it's in prayers is how we spend time with Jesus. Um, and so uh, remember how we checked our pulses earlier. If a first responder checked your pulse specifically regarding prayer, like what would they find there? What would the reading be? And I get it that like sometimes prayer is awkward and we don't know what to say. And, and like if you don't have enough troubles to talk to God about, talk to me after the service. I will give you some of mine and you can talk to him about mine if you don't have enough. But we, we can talk about our troubles. There's an old song that says Jesus knows all about our troubles. And you could talk to him about your troubles. Talk to him about your heart and just where your heart is. And God, here's what I need. Talk to him about, about sin. Confess sin to him and ask for his help. Ask for transformation. Ask for guidance. Pray the scripture, man. There, I'll take a psalm or a passage of scripture and I'll just pray through it. When I don't know how to pray, I just pray through God's word. That, and I know I'm praying, I'm praying God's inspired word when I do that. Um, we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in our hearts and in our lives. Um, it, it pray, God, I, what's going on, God, in your mind? Like, what are you thinking about right now? God, what are you thinking about right now? What's, what's going on in your heart right now? And then listen for what he might say. And I know that, that it, it's awkward and, 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 and we have limited attention spans and all that. But, but a church without a healthy vital sign of prayer and an individual without a healthy uh, prayer life we're, we're missing out we become like Jesus by spending time with Jesus and prayer is how we spend time with Jesus and as they're praying this is what the Holy Spirit says. says set apart for me Barnabas and Saul and send them out so they set them apart they pray over them and they send them you think the church in Antioch wanted to send uh, Saul and Barnabas don't you think they were like, isn't there, God, isn't there something? Sounds like you said, you know, uh, you know, Leroy over here, let's send him somewhere. No, they didn't want to let go of, of uh, uh, no offense to Leroy if he's in the room, but we, uh, they didn't want to send Saul and Barnabas. Well, we kind of like with, with Andrew uh, last year when he left. We didn't want to see Andrew go. I mean, uh, you guys didn't want to see your kiddos go and your grandkids go, but uh, but that's what, the, that's what the Holy Spirit did. He, he sends us out. And... Uh, and if, if you've been praying, Lord, show me where to serve. Do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to serve? And if you're hearing the Holy Spirit say, I want you to, light, to hide your light under a bushel, then you may be doing it wrong. Okay? If you sense the Holy Spirit telling you, no, I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to serve anybody. I want you just to hide your light under a bushel. Then you are doing it wrong. And I don't know what spirit you're listening to. Okay? The Holy Spirit, when we pray, when we seek Him, He says, I'm sending you here. And, and, and some of us are sent into children's ministry or youth ministry or single ministry or, or, or marriage ministry. Some of us are sent into mentoring at our school campuses. Some of us are sent to, to serve at the shop. Some of us are sent into addiction ministry. Some of us are sent to knock on our neighbor's door. Some of us are sent to be a listening ear to people that need it. Every one of us is sent to school or to work or to our neighborhood every day to be a Christian Is to be sent. And so some of us uh, recently, some were sent on a short mission trip to Rwanda. We'll send people to Belize and Rwanda and Iraq and all over the place. We're going to send people long term, a year or two or three years down the road, we'll send some people to, to those areas. But there's also a rhythm every day, every week of our lives where we gather here and then we're sent out from here. And then we gather back here. And then we're sent out from here. And when we gather here in large groups and small groups, we have the opportunity to say, hey, what what has God done in you since I saw you last? What cool thing has God done through you? And if we're people carrying around the Spirit of God with us wherever we go, we ought to have more stories than we can even tell. Um, And I encourage you, be awake to what God is wanting to do in and through you. He's sending you. When we leave through those double doors in a little while, he is sending us out as salt and light in the world. When Jesus brings us life, life gets full of surprises. Um, moving, moving forward, they, they, uh, Paul and, and Barnabas, uh, they, they go on this mission trip, verse 4. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. as Barnabas' home island, by the way. He's Cyprian. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Verse 9. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, full of deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Now, some of us might say this is a little bit of a judgy way to start a mission trip. Um, It's interesting that this is the first thing that happens on the mission trip. There's this miracle of judgment where there's this uh, witch or a magician who's trying to turn people away from Jesus. And what we see here in Paul is that he calls evil, evil. Evil. And he confronts it. As a believer, a healthy church, a healthy Christian, is someone who loves what is good and hates what is evil. Interestingly, the magician goes blind for a season, which is exactly what had happened to Paul when Paul had met Jesus. So Paul has faced the evil within himself. He's not going around like confronting other people when he won't even confront himself, he's faced the evil within himself. And he's able to call out evil in other people. As believers, we're called to love unconditionally. You are called to love everybody no matter what. But you're also called to call evil what it is. And guys, there's evil in our community that's got people wrapped up in chains. There's evils of, of, of meth addiction and alcohol addiction and porn addiction. There's evil of racism. There's all kinds of evil. There's broken sexuality. And we don't do anybody any favors if we call what is evil, good. And as people armed with the most powerful message in the world, there's no situation that you can walk into that's too evil for the gospel to restore. There's nobody that's too far gone that King Jesus can't reach. And so if we are armed with that understanding and that faith, we can go out there and then we're going to come back with stories to tell. So they confront evil. And notice that in verse 9, Saul the, the word that's used, to, to, the name for him shifts to Paul. He probably, uh, you know, had multiple names. People in those days and did, and, and so Saul was his Hebrew name. And Paulos, or Paul, is his Latin, his Roman name. And Saul uh, is the name he went by amongst the Hebrews. And Saul is the name of the first king of Israel. It's a proud name. It's a strong name. Saul the king was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Paul... Uh, means small or humble one. And as, as Paul uh, becomes known no longer by Saul, but now by Paul, it's signifying a shift that he is taking. It, it, God's calling him to outsiders. God's calling him to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. But it's also a shift in Paul that he, he's not the big, tall king. He's the humble one, and he's the one that's going to write, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect, and your weakness I'm getting to the end. Um, A healthy Christian, a healthy church is characterized by new identity in Christ. Whatever name your mama gave you, whatever name the kids on the playground gave you, that's not the name that Jesus gave you. He He gives you a new identity. And what's going to happen next is Paul, and I just urge you to read this passage, verses 16 and following, Paul stands up in this assembly, and he presents the gospel story beginning in the Old Testament, and we've seen this over and over and over in Acts. He presents the gospel with such clarity, and he shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of the story, and that's something that a healthy Christian is able to do, is present the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that he is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. He's the Messiah. He's the one promised. He's the one who lived a perfect life, died a sinless death, rose again, so that we might know God forever. Paul and and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas experience opposition. They, they get run out of town. And in Acts 14, 22, they say it's through many tribulations that we inherit the kingdom of God. It's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. A lot of times I have people, probably on a weekly basis, people say to me, man, I'm trying to live for Jesus. I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to turn the direction I'm going. Why am I having so many problems? Why am I having so much opposition? A healthy church and a healthy Christian will experience opposition. If you're experiencing repentance in your life, if you're turning away from addiction you're turning towards jesus you're turning away from old ways you're turning to jesus you are going to experience opposition from people you're going to experience opposition within your own self you're going to experience opposition um, from evil because there's an evil one who comes to steal kill and destroy at the end of chapter 14 verses 27 28 paul and barnabas gather back in antioch they come back home 14 verse 27 They arrived and gathered the church together and they declared all that God had done with them. And and so Paul and Barnabas come back and they start telling all these amazing stories, all the crazy things that God did. Man, there was this magician and he he was talking this crazy evil stuff and you should have heard what Paul did. There was this person that was lame and they couldn't walk and they were healed. There were these people that were in the synagogue and they placed their trust in Jesus and they got saved. They were full of stories. And yeah, that happened over a long period of time. But our rhythm as believers is one that we gather together and then we're sent out from here. And then we gather together and we say, this is what God did while we were apart. This is what God's doing in my heart. This is how I need God to move in my life. Todd Wagner writes in this book, Come and See, when you run around on earth with the power of heaven in your life, your world should be full of stories. When you run around on earth with the power of heaven in your life, your world should be full of stories. I want to say it again. You are armed with the most powerful, the most potent message that the world's ever known. That God would come to us in the flesh and take our place on a cross, pay the penalty of our sin, purchase for us eternal life. He would rise again, overcoming sin, death, hell, and the grave. And that you, if you know Jesus, if you place your trust in Jesus, you have the same spirit in your heart and in your life and in your body that rose Jesus from the dead. There's no reason that your life can't be full of stories. I want to hear the stories of how God's transforming your marriage. I want to hear the stories of how your marriage needs to be transformed. I want to hear the story of how maybe you're caught up in addiction right now, but you don't want to be anymore. I want to hear the story of this is where I used to be, but that's not where I was. That's not where I am anymore. I want to to hear stories about how you were prompted by the Holy Spirit and you went over to your neighbor and you asked them how they were doing and, and you saw them set free from something. Guys, we... We are on this earth for more than just to survive. God has given you the power of heaven. And so our lives can be full of stories.